Yo three. Lenore Locke is an American children's writer from Hoboken, New Jersey. She's visiting Hong Kong this week to present at the Hong Kong International Young Readers Festival. I actually started as an author in kindergarten. That's when I used to go home every day after school and take pieces of paper and staple them together, fold them in half, and start drawing pictures. And my dad found these years later, um, and he said that he knew at the at that time that I would become an author. But it took me about 30 years before I realized that because I began going down the path where you become you want to become everything you read. And I loved reading. I wanted to become a ballerina when I read about Maria Tallchief. I wanted to become a tennis star when I read about Chris Everett. Um, so it took me a while to realize that I would go back to making books. There are some people who come to it later in life and realize that they really want to write after they've had lots of life experience. And I found that I couldn't write until I've had lots of life experience. So you mean you actually tried in between kindergarten and sort of later in life and, and found that you couldn't? Oh, no. I actually kept writing. Um, and right after university, I worked as a newspaper reporter. Um, and that's where I learned to interview people and to get stories and to listen to dialogue and um, ask questions and ask really good questions. Um, so I was always writing. But I think it really does take life experience before you're able to have enough stuff to use in a book and to write a book. Now, I'm curious as to why, though, because, you know, you hear that when it comes to fiction, it's about sitting there and creating, right? It, it's the creativity. It's, it's, it's inside you. It's, it's what's in your mind. It's the emotion. You don't necessarily have to have lived it, have that life experience, perhaps. Um, but I'm getting from you, maybe that's not the case. It certainly isn't the case. Um, and with me anyway, I can only speak for myself. But it was Henry David Thoreau who said that um, one cannot sit down to write until one has stood up to live. Um, and I do think that you do need life experience in order to have the insight necessary for fiction. And fiction isn't created out of a vacuum, but rather from lots of experiences, whether your own or things that you see or around you. I find inspiration everywhere I go. So take me through your journey. Um, you started off uh, perhaps right after university as, as a newspaper reporter. Mm -hmm. Yes. And um, when was that and how long did it take you to go from there to being a fiction author? Well, I worked as a newspaper reporter for four years before I married and had children. And it was when I started staying home with my daughters that I picked up these um, picture books and started reading to them. And I thought, wow, what great little works of art. I want to make one. And little did I know it would take seven years before I would sell my first book. Um, and I had um, a former colleague at a newspaper who had also gone into children's book. And I was fortunate enough to have received his advice about publishing it, he said, get your second book in there as before your first book comes out. Um, and uh, that's what I did. And I've been publishing ever since. So what kind of uh, books do you write? I have done picture books and chapter books. Chapter books are the novels for young readers, um, grades, I guess, grades two and up. No, maybe grade 
three. Um, a lot of my chapter books are required reading in third grade classrooms in the United States. My uh, picture books are all award winners, and as are my chapter books. And um, Brush of the Gods was my most recent uh, chapter book. It's about the life of Wu Daozi, um, China's most famous painter, who had, during the time... Tang Dynasty um, introduced three-dimensional painting to, to the world. And um, we had never heard of Wu Daozi in the West, but he's very well known and taught from a very young age in China. And um, I did some research in China. He came about when I was researching my book, Alvin Ho, Allergic to Dead Bodies. And I needed to find out what um, Chinese funeral traditions were out there and Chinese funeral customs. And I ran across the story about Wu Daozi, who they said never died. He merely walked into his last painting and disappeared. And when I read that, I knew that was a book. And I, that was a book I wanted to do. very interesting, Lenore, because it's one thing to write, say, a middle grade novel, another thing to write a really good one, and something completely different to write a, a one that is so great that it wins an award or is required reading in school. Tell me about the difference between those three things. Oh my, I don't know what the difference is in terms of creating one. When I write, when I set out to write, I'm setting out to write to myself. I'm addressing the seven-year-old girl in me or the seven-year-old inner boy because I had to find my own little inner boy before I could write my series, Alvin Ho, Allergic to Girls School and Other Scary Things. And there's been six books of Alvin, and he gets into a lot of misadventures. He's a little boy who's afraid of everything. He's so afraid of school that when he gets there, he can't speak. He suffers from something called selective mutism, and it's a form of anxiety. It's not that he doesn't want to speak. He can't. So the girls at school, all um, they know what he needs before he knows what he needs, and they all speak for him. So he doesn't have a need to speak anymore and the boys all avoid him and so he, in each book he gets into a different adventure and in the very last book book six he goes to china and he gets into a lot of trouble in china because there's a lot of things for him to be afraid of there um and in terms of winning awards whether a book i'm doing is going to win a, an award i guess that's something completely out of my control and of course I hope to win something, but you never know. And I think that winning the hearts of my readers means a lot more to me than winning a medal or something like that. But Alvin has won um, quite a few awards. Mm-hmm. And is it the Alvin Ho series that has required reading in schools? Yes. So why did schools pick that? There's something going on in the States now. I don't know if it's global. I hope it is. And it's called diversity. It's called multicultural books. And um, historically, there hasn't been a lot of children of colored color represented in children's books in the States. And they're now pushing a lot pushing that a lot. Uh, publishers are looking for that. I think that's how I got my break um, in publishing my first book, is that they were looking for something multicultural. Because if I had been working, say, 20 years ago, or even 10 years before the time that I first started, the time that my first book came out, I don't think I would have had a publisher interested in the story of my grandmother's life in the crab canneries. That was my first book. Um, but now... 
there's an interest in that. So there's an interest in that. There's an interest in just good literature. And I do believe that Alvin is good, good literature because I like to call these books spinach in the chocolate cake. There's a lot of American history because it's set in Concord, Massachusetts, which is the birthplace of the American Revolutionary War. And there's also a lot of American uh, literary tradition because it Concord was the home of uh, Henry David Thoreau, Nathaniel Hawthorne, Louisa May Alcott, and um, Ralph Waldo Emerson. They were all friends and neighbors. So I get to pull that into my books. So the kids are getting a lot of spinach, but they think they're only getting chocolate cake because it's very, very funny and there's a lot of humor in it and they're just laughing aloud through the entire book and they don't even know they're getting the good stuff. To me, it sounds, correct me if I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. much more than a multicultural book in the sense you've also got U.S. history, spinach, mm-hmm. <laughs> as you call it, and you've got chocolate cake, all the fun and the comedy or the humor, right, that, that kids really identify with and you've got the multiculturalism as well. So it's a three-in-one. Absolutely. You're right, Renita. So this movement towards multiculturalism, in certainly in the United States, with the Alvin Ho series, what made it multicultural? Was it simply the fact that the protagonist himself is ethnically Chinese? Yes, he is. Um, there's really nothing about him that is, um, I guess, culturally Chinese. And there's references to food and maybe a couple of holidays. I think you would be hard-pressed to find anything more than that because I really wanted um, a Chinese-American character or Asian-American character to be normal. I don't want this to be a struggle about ethnic identity because up until I wrote um, Ruby, Lou, Brave and True, I think that a lot of the so-called multicultural books were all about um, all about that ethnic identity. And do white kids in America go around thinking about their ethnic identity? You know, this is a book about being Irish American, or this is a book about being Danish American or Scandinavian American. No, they're just kids having normal adventures. And I wanted an Asian kid um, to have normal adventures and a very normal family. And so, um, I don't know if you if you're looking for a multicultural book about ethnic identity this is not it. How does this or how could this transgress to other parts of the world if you're to look at the world as a market now outside of America? I mean that changes the picture a little bit, no? That's interesting. That's a very interesting point because in America, um, I am hard-pressed to find any books by authors outside of the States. Even Canadian authors are hard to find. Um, and I love coming to Hong Kong for the fact that I could walk into any bookstore and there are books from all around the world. And these are books I cannot find. Um, so... Yes, multiculturalism defined by people living in the U.S. is about other ethnicities living in the U.S. and their experience there. And I would love to see more books from other countries in our country. And how my book translates elsewhere, well, it's been translated into many languages around the world. And this is my first uh, time in a country where my books have been published in 
um, their language. It's been translated into Chinese. It's come out um, from a Shanghai publisher last last year, the Alvin Books, or at least the first first book has come out. And I have not been to, say, Indonesia yet, where he's also come out. I have been to Turkey, but it was before Alvin came out there. So it's interesting that he's being bought in other markets. So I think that there is a broader definition of multiculturalism than what we have defined it to be in the U.S., definitely. So, Lenore, you talk Uh a lot about Alvin. Is he your favorite character of everything you've created? Or is that an unfair question to ask an author? (laughs) It's very unfair because that's like, I get this question all the time in schools. uh, What's your favorite book? And that's like asking a, a mom to choose her favorite child. And I feel that way about my books. I can't really choose. And I'm talking about him because he's he is being talked about by other people. And he has sold the most in numbers. Um, and I've been told that that's because it's a boy character. And I love Ruby Lou, um, but girl characters don't sell as much as boy characters because girls will read boy protagonists and girl protagonist books, but boys will only read boy protagonist books. And I think that's that's the exp- explanation I've been given for why he sold more. And Ruby is just as funny. <laughs> what are your inspirations? Ah, Where do you get them? Where do you find them? All over the place. When I go to schools, I like to tell kids about my writer's notebooks and encourage them to keep one because I never know when I'll run into something that I think, oh, I need this little detail in one of my books or that would be great in a scene. And if I'm not carrying my writer's notebook with me, then I'll lose it because If I say I'm going to put that in my notebook as soon as I get home tonight, I would have forgotten it. So I always carry writer's notebook with me, and I encourage kids to do that. And I find my inspiration all over the place. Do you have a daily routine or a practice, you know, that you follow? Religiously or not? Well, as soon as I get up, I'm writing. I pull my laptop into my warm bed with me. (laughs) I have a very, very short commute. And I start writing there because I have read that that is your most creative time because you're still just semi-conscious and your your conscious world hasn't come in yet to um, impose on this very much more imaginative and free state of mind that you're in just fresh from your dreams, fresh from waking up. So I like to write first thing in the morning before I eat, before I drink anything, before I, well, uh, I do go to the bathroom before I do that. But, you know, um, I write first thing in the morning, then I have breakfast, and then I'm writing again. I really basically write from from the time I wake up until I go to bed. Um, I do take breaks for my meals and to go practice yoga or to go swimming. So I do need some physical activity. But other than that, I'm just always writing. So you are a quintessential full-time writer. I am indeed. Indeed. Do you listen to music when I write? No, I actually can't. Um, I've tried and I have to write in silence. And it bugs me because I would love to listen to music when I'm writing. I love music, um, but I'll listen to it afterwards. I'll listen to it when I'm doing other things and when I'm driving around. But I can't listen to anything when I'm when I'm writing. And I think it's because I need to hear my voice. I need to hear whatever voice 
the book is. And if I'm playing something that's in in this world into my ear, I'm, I'm not fully in that other world. So it sounds like quite a solitary existence. It's very solitary. <laughs> Intentionally? Intentionally, yes, um, for my writing. But, you know, I'm very social, too. I have lots of friends, and I go out with them. So, you know, this is – I treat it like a job. It's not something I say – I'm waiting for my muse. I'm waiting for my muse to strike. If my muse is not there, I'm still there in front of my blank screen um, because I, I don't believe a muse is something that comes and goes. It's in you and it exists all the time and you have to just look inward and, and find that space where you can write it that zone e avevi tempo per poter organizzarsi da organizzare da dividere in passi cazzo rullante la mia voce di passi passi media alti fare salti per far ballare pubblico sugli spalti so you write picture books and you write middle grade novels. What is the difference between the two? I don't mean in terms of what we as the readers see. You know, that's sort of clear and obvious, but you as the writer, how do you approach one versus the other? And how do you know that a story in your head or that you're developing is right for a picture book or right for a middle grade chapter book? Well, I often don't, actually. Um, and it's my editor who will guide me either toward after she receives my first draft will say, oh, yes, this is a picture book. Let's continue on this path. And I'm going to edit this for you as a picture book that goes down that path. And then other times I've come up with a picture book and she'll say, no, this is a chapter book. It should have more adventures. And that happened with Ruby Lou Brave and True, my first chapter book. And it it was a picture book and she saw it as a middle grade reader. And I said, what is, a, she said, turn this into a novel. That's the word she used. I said, what's a novel? And she said, well, and she gave me um, an example to read. And um, I still said, I can't do this because my attention span is only 40 pages long. That's the length of a picture book. And she said, well, just think of each chapter as a picture book. And it was that um, when she said that, that released the uh, the chapter book out of me. I needed to see some, see it in a way that was doable for me. And um, I have written more, many more chapter books now than picture books. And I do see each um, chapter as a picture book. And so they're kind of episodic, you know. They there are links, and it does make sense. And there's a linear journey, but I still see each chapter as a different scene. So. And and what is a chapter book? Meaning, you know, obviously it's not like what we look at on the bookshelf, you know, a big book with 50,000, 100,000 words. But it really is a transition, transitional reading for this very young uh, child who is older than a complete kindergartner, but mm -hmm. too young to read real novels. So right. given that, what is a chapter book? It is a, a mini novel. And it is, you're right, is a transition between um, picture book reading and there is another step in between called First Reader. And I'm working on, I, I hope uh, my next series is a First Reader series. And that's very simple sentences or 
with very short chapters and each book is only about four chapters and it's over very quickly and it builds confidence. And then after that, they jump into the Ruby Lou um, level and the Alvin Ho level. It's the same level. And that is um, a little more substance and plot and um, a lot of character development for, for my books. Um, I don't know if there's, I haven't read many chapter books in my genre. Um, but I, I feel that character development is very, very important. Um, because a child, a young reader can have an, uh, an emotional attachment to a character. And I think that's what releases in them this love for reading is when they can see themselves in this character and in these situations and say, aha, I would never do that. Um, or, oh, isn't that silly? Or, oh, let's try that. You know, it's a, this emotional attachment to it. So I think that's very important in this chapter book um, level. And then after that, they can read the, um, the novels that are much longer without pictures, without any illustrations, um, because they've learned from reading the younger books that um, there will be this emotional attachment awaiting them in those pages too. But can you really develop um, characters? Mm-hmm. And of course you can because you've done it. But my question is more perhaps how with a limited number of words? I mean, how many words? Oh, um, my Alvin Ho books are about 20,000 words in all. Um, and that's 18 chapters for me. The chapters are longish some no i wouldn't say longish medium three four pages you start with the first word you start from page one and you don't let go until you're done you don't waste any words you don't waste any space it's very very tight writing and you just go for it and it's every chapter every sentence is character development i actually don't plot my books um i let them grow organically i start with a character my character has started as an idea in one of my writer's journals and i am constantly adding elements to his character or her character, adding elements and facets, you know, always polishing the little stone of that character so that this character is fully developed person. And there's so many things to find out about him or her through the course of the book. And it unfolds, the character just unfolds chapter after chapter. You know, it starts from with the very first word and the very first sentence. So it's Sentence after sentence, um, chapter after chapter, and then book after book. So it's all about character development. Whatever happens is not important. It's the character. The Young Readers Festival takes place in Hong Kong over the next couple of weeks. Lenore will be presenting at several schools. And although she says that she doesn't actually like writing to music, she does like music. I leave you now with Neri Percasso, one of her favorite a cappella groups. Che non c'è musica che vale di più Di quella musica che puoi ascoltare tu 